Amen. I trust that is the prayer of our hearts this morning. That as we look into God's word, that the Holy Spirit would show us Christ. We see him from start to finish, do we not? In the text of scripture, the pages. The writer of the New Testament refers to the milk of the word. Also refers to the meat of God's word. It is all God's word. And it is all inspired. Uh, the Bible, as we have it before us, does not just contain God's word. It is God's word to us. Preserved by his sovereignty, by his divine work. And for that we can be incredibly grateful. There are passages in it that, um, again, to use the New Testament example, that uh, maybe, maybe they're a little bit like, uh, you know, the breakfast cereal or the, the oatmeal. There's nourishment there. There's needed things there, but a spoon will do. Then there are passages where we might need a knife and fork. <laughs> Such is the one we have this morning. So let's turn to Romans 8 together. Open God's word. Look together at this next paragraph that's before us. Um, I, I will mention, some of you may have noticed, um, there are new pew Bibles out there. I think there's a couple in each row if you need one uh, this morning. They're there for your use. We're going to look in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read for you verses 26 through 30. Romans 8, 26 through 30, just continuing right on where we have been these recent weeks. Notice as he begins in 26, it's a link to what has come before in that one word, all right? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What we know. What we know. There are things within the pages of scripture that are still a mystery to us. Mystery, quote unquote. That's a word that we see often in the New Testament. Jesus and the apostles used that word mystery over two dozen times recorded for us in the New Testament. We are invited through the beautiful hymn text to come behold the wondrous mystery. 
The mystery that is God's amazing love for us in the gift, the sacrifice, the resurrection, and the imminent return of Jesus. Our minds can't comprehend it. Yes, there are many things that our finite minds can't fully grasp. But we accept them to be true by faith. Because of what God has done, we believe he also will do. We have, you have, no doubt. Seeing God do a work in your life at some point in time. Probably many times. And there come times that then we go through in, in days following and, and that we will still, if the Lord tarries is coming, continue to, to encounter. That when that happens, the Holy Spirit brings back to our mind, back to our heart. Okay, I know this is tough. I know this is uncertain. But remember when. Remember when you saw something like this before and what God did. And so because of that, our faith is strengthened and our faith grows. And, and yes, even though sometimes we don't really understand how this is going to work or how it's all come together. We accept it by faith. There are a couple verses in this paragraph that we are often, we by, I mean the church in general, Christians as they read through these passages, there are a couple of these that, that we do as we've kind of talked before, kind of act like the crane and we reach in and we grab them right out of the text and you know, there it is, as, as if there's nothing else around it. And they do stand on their own. But this morning I want us to see them in the full context because verse 26 is one of those and verse 28 is one of those. I mean, what a blessing verses 26 and 27 are. They tell us that, you know, those times when we are so distraught, when our temporal weakness is on full display in our life, we don't even know how to pray. We don't even know what to pray. We just know we need to pray. We need to, as we were just reminded, we need to run to Christ. You say, and when I get there, I don't even know what I'm going to say. I just know I need to run to Christ. In that moment, the Holy Spirit steps in and he puts words to our burdens. When he does that, according to this passage, you can also be assured that he always is in perfect concert with God's will for your life. What an amazing blessing. God, I, I know I have a need. I, this is desperate. I don't even know what to say, how to ask. The Holy Spirit's like, I'll do it. You know, it, it should be one of those things we, we know intellectually that when we pray, we should always pray. Okay, as we do it here in, this mor in the morning service, I, I most often, just about every week, I say in our opening prayer, at some point towards the conclusion of it, I say, may your will be done here in this place and in our hearts just as it is in heaven. 
That's how we were instructed to pray. That's what we really should want. Obviously, we don't always know what that is, right? Guess what? The Holy Spirit does. Every time we are at a loss and we come before God and we're just like, The Holy Spirit puts words to those burdens that are 100% in agreement with God's will. Paul has gone to great lengths in this passage in chapter 8 here to confirm for the believer the many ways that the Spirit, capital S, proper name, is at work. You can, you can look back through the chapter. There, there is the indwelling of the Spirit that is discussed in verse 9. His leading in verse 13. The witnessing that he does in us in verse 16. The working in verse 23. And the interceding here in verse 26. It's not the full extent of it. It's not the whole catalog. But wow is it broad, right? The word here in front of us intercedes the spirit himself intercedes for us we we get a sense of what it means intercede intercession for us on our behalf the greek word is is one that's very interesting because again it it in the original language and i think to the first century audience when they heard it it, it clicked Maybe a little more than it does for us. Because what it really meant was it is the act of a superior coming on behalf of someone in their charge or care. Now think about that. How often in our life do those who are above us, those who are our superiors, act on our behalf? It's nice when it happens, right? But probably not a whole lot. Usually it's the other way around. We're acting on their behalf. But this word intercedes, it carries with it, it carried with it in that original language, that idea that this is someone who is far above us and they are going to bat for us, as we would say. So many times we live in a world and you know, there's the people that are way up here and they don't even know that the people down here exist. <laughs> right? There, there's this great detachment. Now, they used to be down here. But they've been up here for so long they kind of forget what the down here's like. They don't do it intentionally. If you asked them about it, they'd be like, oh yeah, I remember back when. But it's just how our human nature is. The Holy Spirit's not like that. The Holy Spirit, though yes, he is, I mean, I can't even, my arms aren't that long, to say how high above us he is. <laughs> but he has no problem coming down to where we are and saying, I know what you're going through. I will take that there. Isn't that just what? We're seeing here, and he's saying, I got you. I've got you. 
There are other things that we know. K-N-O-W. All caps, big letters, you know, if you're texting it, you're shouting. <laughs> what do we know? There's enough that we don't know. But what do we know? Things that we could know and things that God wants us to know, such as the case here before us in this text. Because with the conjunction and, Paul links what we know to the work of the Holy Spirit on our behalf, based on the interceding work of the Spirit. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I was not the greatest student. I will admit that. Math wasn't my favorite. I think they call it language arts now. English grammar, not my favorite. But I remember some things. I remember enough to know that when you see a conjunction, what's it doing? Some of you just right now in your mind, because my mind just did it too. There's a little song that you used to watch on Saturday morning. <laughs> Yeah, what's your function? <laughs> and some of you are going, what is he talking about? Google it, it's on YouTube, I guarantee it. What's the function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. <laughs> it links these thoughts. They're not just floating out there independently. It's not like, oh, by the way, he's doing this. Oh, now let's go talk about this over here. They're together. So the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray, as we should. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And, conjunction, and he's searching hearts and knows what's the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And... We know. These are building. And we know. We say that we know. Do we live like it? Paul links what we know to the work of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. Based on the interceding work of the Holy Spirit. Because the intercession is always according to the will of God. Always in concert. Always in sync to the will of God. It is ultimately for our good. And God's glory. What confidence this should give to us. That's a word you could write out there in the margin if you are so inclined to do on these verses 26 to 28 is the word confidence. Because we, we are so surrounded and we feel so many times like we're just overwhelmed. I mean, it's just one thing after another that happens, that, that comes to our awareness, so on and so forth. And it's just like, I don't even know what to say. So the Holy Spirit takes those burdens and prayers and puts words, words to them before God. But he also is saying, linking this together, and 
Because of that, we know that all things work together for good. Again, this is another. Crane comes in, grabs verse 28, pulls it out. <laughs> Fine. It's a wonderful statement. But I wonder if we do that sometimes in this particular passage so that we're not forced to focus on what the purpose really is for life. Because he says there, he's, you know, the, the door's opening wider and wider and wider. And he says there, we know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And that's not the end of the chapter. It's not even the end of the paragraph. In fact, this is the middle sentence in the paragraph. It's a continuing, it's a piece of a continuing thought. And so I want us to look at these sentences and we're just going to walk through them. What Paul says, what are the, the words that he uses? Again, he knows the circumstances in your life, in the life of a person who loves God, are not random. Think about that for a minute. That's a little saying, right, and a word that's kind of crept into our cultural vocabulary. Well, that was random. What do we mean by that? I think what it means is that, like, it came out of nowhere. <laughs> it just really wasn't associated with what was going on or what we were talking about, and somebody just kind of throws it out there in conversation, and, and another person looks and goes, well, that was random. That's not your life as the child of God. All things work together. Just like the Holy Spirit always prays according to the will of the Father, similar thought. This, we have it as two words, but this compound word, works together. It is the word, the Greek word, synergy. We've just transliterated it. That's when we reached into the Greek language and just pulled it out and we just used it. The things are working in concert with one another for a common purpose and a common goal. What happens? Some of you are engineers. Some of you have, are, you know, like plant managers, plant engineers, things like that. You, you, you know what happens when the gears don't match up, right? Nothing good. Bad sounds, sometimes there's smoke, eventually something's going to stop. <laughs> Hence the phrase comes to a grinding halt. That's not what we're talking about. All things work together. Synergy. Not like this. Like this. And they just keep flowing. Perfectly together. Working together does not equate to being easy. Or pleasant. 
A lot of times we, we use this verse I, when Robert was preaching back in the spring through that series on lament. He referenced the fact that we often do talking with a friend and we, it's well-meaning. They're going through a struggle. They're going through deep waters and we whip out Romans 8.28. <laughs> it's true. But it doesn't equate to being easy. It doesn't equate even to being pleasant. Working together does assure us that it's not random. And the life of a believer is not a sum or a series of coincidences. Paul's confidence is born from, from years of service to the Lord. Seeing this happen in his own life. And obviously he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he writes this. But as the Holy Spirit is telling him to put these words to, pay, to the page. I guarantee you in his heart he is, he is saying, amen. I've seen that. Boy, I remember when that happened. We talked last week about the fact how. Paul very likely is dictating this letter. Someone else is actually doing the writing, physical writing of it. I, I get to a verse like this, and I wonder if he didn't just kind of pause and go, let me tell you how this looks. <laughs> and now it's story time with Paul. I would have pulled up a chair for that. I mean, we, we know some of it. We probably don't know the half of it. What an amazing thing it would be. To sit and to listen to someone like I, Paul, talk about how all things work together for good. That's why it's so important for us as a church family, a church body, as we come together, for, for us to talk about what God is doing in our lives, to share our burdens our weaknesses, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to, to exhort one another, to share. Let me tell you what God did this week. Because those are testimonies to all things work together. Yeah, maybe it wasn't the best week. Maybe it was really tough. But I know God's doing something. For your ultimate benefit. And what is that ultimate benefit? To be like Jesus. Again, good doesn't mean, it's not a guarantee that something is going to be enjoyable or pleasant. Because God defines good differently than we do. There's a divine purpose for the way in which all things are working together. Because they are, look at the next phrase, according to his purpose. Again, there's not a period after good. All things work together for good, period. No. Goes on, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's his purpose. It's his plan. And we ought to be very glad that's according to his plan and his purpose and not our own. 
I had a plan for my life. God changed it. <laughs> we were at dinner on Friday night with a young couple that's pastoring up in Massachusetts. And, you know, we're just getting to know each other and the wives are talking across the table and the husband and I, he's a pastor, we were talking across the table and I overheard Renee starting to kind of share a little bit of our story. And, and she said, as she often does, I didn't marry a pastor. <laughs> she didn't. She married a businessman. I started a company in Atlanta and that's what we were going to do. And I mean, I had plans. And God changed them. And can I tell you, I am so glad he did. I would not trade the last 30 years for anything. Ministry is not always easy. Not always fun. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. Why? Because God works all things together for good according to his purpose. And his purpose and his plan are so much better than mine. God doesn't have a plan B for your life. You've got plan B's and C's and D's and E's and so on. God's not making it up as he goes along. God has a purpose. A grand plan and purpose for your life. And this we know. This we know. Now, some of you are looking ahead at this passage and going, oh my, it's 11.20. And he hasn't broken out the knife and fork yet. <laughs> there is a lot that could, that could be said here. But again, I, and it, I've taken this passage and broken it out every single word. And we could do that. We could spend a week, a message, a series of messages on some of, on every word. We're not going to do that this morning. I want us to see it as it all comes together. So notice that verse 28, it's not the conclusion of the thought. Like I said, it's the middle of the paragraph. And oh my goodness, there's another conjunction. <laughs> verse 29, 4. Now, that conjunction is repeated throughout chapter 8. It's one of those things, if uh, you're doing an analytic Bible study or, uh, or something, you, you go back and just look at all the fours that are conjunctions linking all these thoughts together. Four, those whom he foreknow he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The purpose is being revealed. Paul just talked about that, and he didn't leave us wondering. He just put it right here. The Holy Spirit just put it right here in the same paragraph. And Paul here, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's as though, if I can use this analogy, he strings together five beautiful theological pearls. And they're all strung together right here in this passage, one after the other. 
don't be afraid of the scary theological words that are here. Have some of them been misused? Sure. Have some of them been mischaracterized? Yep. But they're given to us in this passage and other passages. Think Ephesians 1, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, 1 Peter. This isn't a, a, a pass-by on these truths. These are repeated by different authors to different audiences. And they're from God. And so we're, gonna, we're just going to quickly group them in two sections here. The first, for new, predestined. Now, these are the two that cause the greatest consternation. And everybody's like, what's he going to say? I'm going to say what scripture says. It's a pretty safe place. <laughs> How does all of this work? I'm not quite sure. Anybody that tells you I know, they're kidding themselves. This has been discussed and talked about for centuries. This is one of those things we just trust what God's word says. These are the words he used. So what's it mean? Well, foreknew. Admittedly, because we're temporal beings, the idea of foreknowledge is incredibly perplexing for us. Again, we have plans. Renee and I have plans for this afternoon. We think we're going to go do something. I'll let you know tomorrow if it happens. Right? God has a plan. He always knows what's coming. There are limitations to our ability to fully comprehend the workings and the mind of God, and so we accept it by faith. God is not reacting to your decisions. God is known since before the beginning of time as we know it to be. God has an intimate knowledge of every believer. God will not open the book of life, as it's discussed in Revelation chapter 20. God will not open the book of life and be surprised at the names that are written in there. See, we have this terrible habit of projecting on God our shortcomings and our weaknesses. He has none. He's not like us. We're to be like him. But we struggle with this whole sin problem. And even though we can be, and we'll get to the wonderful truths that are coming, even though we can be forgiven and all that, we still live in this sinful world. We still live with the pressures and, and the problems of it in our own sin, let alone everybody else's. You ever had that thought of, if I could just go and be on a deserted island, you would still be with a sinner. You would still struggle with sin. Yeah. And you'd gripe and complain because of this and that and the other. Until we're glorified, until God comes back, until Jesus comes back and God makes all things new, we're going to struggle with this. And so, 
we, we look at these words like this and, and we have all these big complex discussions and, and debates and so on and so forth and things kind of get like, well, you're either over here or you're over here. I'm right here. And I look at this and I go, thank God that he knows. And I don't have to. I do what I'm supposed to do. God helping me. <laughs> I let him do what he does. And notice what he says. He, God, foreknew and predestined. He had a predestined plan for the believer to be like Christ. Again, there's not a period after this word either. So we're wondering, left wondering what he meant. God specifically predestined the believer to be conformed to the image of his son. This word conformed is interesting too. It's somorphos. It, it is literally the, the same shape and nature. And nature. Not just to look like. To be like. How in the world are we ever supposed to be like Jesus? The Holy Spirit. Thank God he did not lay this plan out for us and say, good luck. Have fun with that. No, he gave to us a helper, a comforter, a paraclete that comes alongside of us, that takes us when we're in the midst of struggles and, and, and difficulties and we don't even know what to say, the Holy Spirit says, I got it. And when we look at, at, at deep truths of God's word, he comes alongside of us and says, look, God knows this. You do your part. You stay conformed. You be conformed to the image of Christ. I mean, has this not already been introduced to us back in verse 15 and 17? When he gave to us that wonderful truth that we call the Father by the name, by the same term as the Son, Abba. We looked at that. I told you, up until this point in the New Testament, nobody used that word but Jesus. And now Paul says, you get to use it as well, if you're a child of God. And he says, he builds on that. He says, we're heirs, fellow heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And so we look at this sometimes and we're like, yeah, but. Look, there's a lot that scripture says. About these truths. Alright. And again we could, we could keep building and keep building on it. And so on and so forth. And, and I will tell you that at the end of the day. We won't fully grasp it. We'll just be like well. I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus. <laughs> so let's go do that. Because as I've said on this subject before. Any theology that, be, that brings out disobedience. Is bad theology. Any theology that, that causes us to not do what God has told us to do is just bad theology. So you do part, you do your part, and leave God's part to him. 
But we can rest with the confidence. We can rejoice in the knowledge he's not going off the cuff. He's in control. The Holy Spirit could have let Paul conclude the thought right there. We would be left with some really mixed emotions. More questions than we already have. But he didn't. I mean, we would be like, yay, God knows what's going to happen. Yay, God has a plan. But then our humanness would come into view. We'd be like the incessant, inquisitive toddler. Why? Why? When? How? Why? <laughs> right? It's cute the first time. first two pearls in the string are beautiful on their own. But then he adds three more and it really becomes exquisite. Because he says, as he continues on. And those he predestined, he also called. This, again, very picturesque, very powerful word. We're going to link together these next three. Called, justified, glorified. This is the effectual call of God on a person's heart. This is not a general call. It is a very specific call. This is not God standing back, looking over the universe and going, Hey, y'all! That's not this word. That can happen. That's not this word. This is God looking right at you and calling you and you and you. Say, so how does he do that? Ask him when we get to heaven. We know the Holy Spirit's part of that. This is a unique work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, in the heart of every individual. God designed a plan of how the gospel was to be preached. What happens? When the gospel is heard, and the power that the gospel has on a sinner's heart. In its most simple form, in its most simple form, the gospel is preached and the sinner is called. When the gospel is given, it immediately confronts the heart of a sinner. You cannot get away from it. That's the essence of it. There's a conflict. There are questions. Isn't that what Paul is talking about in Romans 1.16? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is what? The power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. To you first and also to the Gentile. Again, that, that word power, dunamis. When noble... The guy, you know, the Nobel Prize. When Nobel figured out dynamite, that's the word he chose to use was dunamis from the Greek. I mean, this is forceful. When the gospel is given, it is the power, the explosive power. This is God's part. I'm glad he does it. I'm not exactly sure how he does all of it. But in his sovereignty, he chose to include us as messengers. 
So do your part. I guarantee you he'll do his part. The next pearl slides down the string and settles into place. Justified. We've already been introduced to this back in chapter 5, verse 16. Sin brought the judgment of condemnation, but the free gift of grace overrides that judgment and declares the sinner justified. Again, a really super simple definition. Justified, just as if I had never sinned. This, is the, again, this word was a legal declaration to declare the accused to be righteous. It's equivalent to a pardon. The, the record is expunged. To be justified, the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to the account of the accused. So literally, when God looks at the repentant sinner, he sees Jesus. This is the hang-up that so many people have. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. Nope. Don't need to. God does. Yeah, but could he, again, see those doubts are in there. Could he really forgive me? Could he, could he really say you are forgiven? And, and then, it, yeah, that's being justified. That's the imputed righteousness that happens. You see, Satan would love for us to live thinking that every time God looks at us, he looks at me like I used to be, like I was. When God looks at a, at, a, at, a, at a saint, at one who has accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, he sees Jesus. Matthew Henry said on this subject, he said, They are recti in curia, that's Latin. Literally means to be right in court. No sin that ever they have been guilty of shall come against them to condemn them. Not a single one. Justified. And there's one more pearl. Those he had called are justified. And those he justified are glorified. Now this is really interesting. Look what it look not only what it says but how it says it. And those whom we'll just start at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now what is interesting about those last few words? They're past tense. It doesn't say, and those whom he justified will be glorified. You see right here, very simply but so eloquently, Paul ushers in the wonderful truth of eternal security. Because it doesn't say you will be. Because if that was the case, then... Oh man, I hope I don't mess this up. I, I, I hope he doesn't forget. I hope he doesn't change his mind. I, 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 no. It's as God looks at us, it is in God's mind as though it's already happened. 
Stating it in the past tense. Stating in the past tense a future event, it brings certainty of the event. Those whom he called, he justified, and will be, may be, could possibly, if all things work right, no. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's as good as done. Praise God. Only he could do that. If it was up to us, man, what a mess we'd be in. But this is what he's done. This is what we know. This is God's purpose. This is God's plan for your life. Are you accepting and realizing his plan? Are you struggling to realize your own plan for your life? There have always been things Satan uses to cause the believer to doubt. Paul is writing here to give the believers then and to us now security and confidence. If you're here today and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then your presence here today is not a surprise to God. It's not a coincidence. God is still in the forgiving and saving business. And if you confess, you will be saved. That's what he said. This passage gives to us both confidence. And it also ought to bring to us great comfort. Because God has a purpose. God has a plan. And it is complete in Jesus. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was. This is the gospel that we get to share. Let us not be ashamed. Father, thank you for the power of the truth of the gospel. We admit there are things that come to us in our life, we just don't know what to think or do about it. There are things about you that we can't even begin to process. But Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have done this. We can rest with confidence in it. When the storms and trials and doubts come, these truths comfort us. And so, Father, may you help us to take this wonderful message that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. May we not be ashamed. Father, thank you that you work in us and through us for our good and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name.